Hello and welcome to the second ever Bible Armor podcast. Today we're going to be looking at how the Bible predicted the exact day of Jesus coming, his entry into Jerusalem. And we're also going to look at how the Bible predicted the exact day that modern day Israel would become a nation in 1948. So let's get started with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die and be resurrected for our sins. Lord, I just pray that you anoint me to be able to get your message across, to be able to get your will across. And Lord, I pray that you anoint the ears of anyone that is listening to be able to understand and receive this information in the way that they need to. Lord, we just thank you that we're that we live in a day and age that we are able to do things like this, um, to study your word, to grow in our faith and grow in our relationship with you, Lord. We love you so much, and we cannot wait for you to establish your kingdom here on earth, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we start with the prophecy, the 70 weeks of Daniel. So in the book of Daniel, this was hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. Daniel prophesied the exact day that he would enter Jerusalem. So let's look at Daniel 9:24, and I'm going to be reading the King James Version because the King James Version uses the word weeks, and you'll see why in just a second. That's important. So Daniel 9.24 says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So what's important to know here is that one week when he says weeks one week equals one period of seven and if you look at the nlt or the niv translation instead of saying the word weeks it actually says sets of seven so one week equals one set of seven the word week can refer to days months years um, in the bible here in this case it refers to years and we know that Because at the beginning of the chapter, Daniel is talking about years. When we're talking about years in this prophecy, a biblical year is 360 days. Um, At a certain point, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, all of the cultures, everyone changed from a 360-day calendar to a 365-day calendar. These prophecies were written before that time, so a biblical year is 360 days. And if we look at Daniel 9-2, we know that Daniel is talking about years because in the beginning he says Jerusalem would last 70 years. So we know that he's talking about years here. And remember, one week equals one set of seven. So we have a total of 70 sets of seven, or 490 biblical years, decreed by God to deal with the Israelites. Remember, in Daniel 9.24, he says 70 weeks. So that's where we get 70 sets of seven. 
In Daniel 9.25, it says, Now listen and understand. Seven weeks, or sets of seven, plus 62 weeks, or sets of seven, will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the Anointed One, comes. The Anointed One, of course, is referring to Jesus. So it breaks these 70 weeks into periods of seven weeks, then 62 weeks, and then there is one final week that we'll look at later. But for now, we're just going to look at the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. So after 49 years, the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt. Then, 62 weeks after that, the anointed one or the Messiah will come. So we have a total of 490 years decreed by God. It's split into three sections, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and one final week. So it took seven weeks to rebuild Jerusalem, and then 62 weeks until the Messiah arrives. And remember, one biblical year is 360 days. So between the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, we have a total of 69 weeks, or 483 biblical years. When we do that math, we convert that to days, that is 173,880 days. The decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem was given by Artaxerxes on March 14, 445 BC. So remember, it's seven weeks and then 62 weeks from the time that the decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given, and that was on March 14, 445 BC. And we see in Nehemiah 2, 5 through 8, where he's asking the king if they can start rebuilding. And he says, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Skip down a little bit. The king agreed to my request. Verse 8 here, I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. So when we calculate 173,880 days from March 14th, 445 BC, when the decree was given, that comes out to be April 6th, 32 AD. April 6th, 32 AD is the exact day that Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So that proves to a T that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The exact day of his entry was prophesied hundreds of years before he was on earth in the book of Daniel. Jesus also fulfilled over 300 some prophecies that were written by many different prophets in the Old Testament leading up to the time that he was on earth. So it was predicted 500 to 700 years before Jesus' arrival. There is no other explanation that I can possibly come up with that would disprove the fact that Jesus was prophesied, the exact day of his coming was prophesied hundreds of years before he was on earth. So now that we know that the Bible predicted the exact day that Jesus would be on earth, what else has the Bible predicted? Well, let's look to the book of Ezekiel and see what he predicted. So if we look at Ezekiel chapter 4, 
verses 4 through 6, God says, Now lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You are to bear their sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I am, re- I am requiring you to bear Israel's sin for 390 days, one day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. So God is sentencing Israel and Judah to a total of 430 years of servitude. When Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity, it was the start of the 430 years of servitude, and Israel was held captive by Babylon for 70 years. So we know that they owe God a total of 430 years. They served 70 years, so they still owed God 360 years of servitude. Israel was released from Babylonian captivity on July 23rd. 537 BC. But it gets worse. God told the Israelites that if they disobeyed him while in captivity, he would punish them seven times more. And we see that here in Leviticus 26:18. God says, And if, in spite of all of this, you still disobey me, I will punish you seven times over for your sins. Well, the Israelites disobeyed God while they were in captivity. So this means that they now owe him 360 years times 7. So when we calculate that out, that comes out to be 2,483 years, 9 months, and 21 days. Now, when you calculate that, you have to take into consideration the solar calendar, the lunar calendar, leap years, uh, all that good stuff. When we calculate that, the Royal Observatory actually can calculate that for you to take into account all of those things and a 360-day biblical year. So that's how we get 2,483 years, 9 months, and 21 days. So remember, they were released from Babylonian captivity on July 23rd, 537 BC. So when we calculate 2,483 years, 9 months, and 21 days, From their release date on July 23rd, 537 BC, we get the date of May 14th, 1948. I encourage you guys to actually go right now, Google important events that happened on May 14th, 1948. So what did happen on that day? That was the exact day that Israel became a modern nation. And it was the exact day that the 2,483 years, 9 months, and 21 days of their servitude to God ended. Now, that means that a biblical prophecy was fulfilled in our lifetime in 1948. That is absolutely incredible that Ezekiel was able to prophesy that modern-day Israel would become a nation to the exact day. I've heard people say before that, you know, there's no hidden code in the Bible. There, Everything is in plain sight. I absolutely 100% agree that everything is right there in plain sight. Those who seek will find, right? So if you're reading the Bible If you ask God to speak to you through the Bible, ask him to open your eyes, give you understanding, these are the kinds of things 
that you can figure out. And it's not hidden. It's right there in plain sight. You just have to know what you're looking for. So now that we know the Bible predicted the exact day of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the exact day that Israel became a modern nation in 1948, what else can we figure out from this prophecy? Because there's more. So remember, we talked about 69 weeks in the 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy. We had the seven weeks that it took to rebuild Jerusalem, and then the 62 weeks after that, Jesus came into Jerusalem. Those seven weeks and 62 weeks run together. After the 69 weeks, there is a 70th week. The 70th week is known as the Great Tribulation. What most people don't know is that there is a gap between the 69th and 70th week known as the church age. So when we look at Daniel 9, 26 through 27, he says, after this period of 62 sets of seven, which is after the seven sets of seven, the anointed one, Jesus, will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and a war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. After half this time, he will put an end to sacrifices and offerings, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So, when we look at that, after 62 sets of seven, Jesus we know was crucified. What we have to look more in depth at is that the word after, when translated from the original Greek, just means sometime after. It doesn't specifically say when after the 62 weeks that 70th week would be. So there is that gap between the 69th and 70th week, and that is known as the church age. We don't know exactly how long that church age is, but Jesus does give us a clue. So if we look at Matthew 24, 32 through 34, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the end times. So he says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that my return is very near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all of these things take place. So what does the fig tree represent? The fig tree blooming represents Israel becoming a modern-day nation in 1948. So we have seen that fig tree bloom in 1948. Now Jesus says, this generation will not pass from the scene until all of these things take place. Okay, well, how long is a generation that Jesus is talking about? So if we look at Genesis 15, 13 through 16, the Lord is talking to Abram, and he says, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, 
Your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. So God is saying they were slaves for 400 years, and he equates that to four generations. So what this is saying is that one generation is 100 years. So anyone born after 1948, when the fig tree bloomed, when Israel became a modern-day nation, is the final generation that will see Jesus return. You guys, we are the final generation. We are the final generation. Now, what we have to do is figure out. So this is a specific parable about Israel. This isn't just a generic analogy or example. This is specific. So throughout the Bible, Israel is referred to as either figs or grapes. So in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, the Lord says, O Israel, when I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. But then they deserted me for Baal Peor, giving themselves to that shameful idol. Soon they became vile as vile as the God they worship. Also, we look at Jeremiah chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. And I'm just going to kind of read the highlight parts of this verse. I highly encourage you to go and actually take your Bible, look up all these verses and, and read them for yourself. Do the math for yourself. Check me on this. Um, there is significant evidence that all of these dates and numbers line up perfectly and exactly. So in Jeremiah 24, verse 1 through 8, I saw two baskets of figs placed in front of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. And then we look at, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the good figs represent the exiles I sent from Judah to the land of the Babylonians. I will watch over and care for them. I will bring them back here again. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them hearts that recognize me as the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me wholeheartedly. But the bad figs, the Lord said, represent King Zedekiah of Judah, his officials, and all the people left in Jerusalem, and those who live in Egypt. I will treat them like bad figs, too rotten to eat. So we also want to look at Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus told this story, a man planted a fig tree, in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. So God was using figs to symbolize the Jews here. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 20, In the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this, and they asked, how did the fig tree wither up so quickly? So what is really important about this passage 
is that this happened in the town of Bethphage. So Bethphage was one of the places that the Sanhedrin met in. It was a city of priests. So this city represented the religious leaders of Israel because it was a city of priests and because the Sanhedrin met there. Also, this is really interesting. Bethphage means house of figs. So we have a city called House of Figs that represents the religious leaders of Israel. Something else that they did was they actually planted fig trees outside of the entrance. So right here, we are seeing exact perfect proof that Jesus is referring to Israel when he talks about the fig trees. And when the fig tree blooms, this will be the last generation. So Israel becoming a modern-day nation is the fig tree blooming, and we are the final generation. Now, does Jesus expect us to know that we are in the end times? Well, let's look at Luke 12, 54 through 56. He said, and this is Jesus speaking, He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? What Jesus is referring to is the present time of the anointed one being there, of the Messiah. Now, they were able to calculate the exact day that Jesus would enter Jerusalem. So he is rebuking them for not doing that, for not calculating the exact day that's written out so plainly in the book of Daniel that he would enter Jerusalem. We also look in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. But as he, meaning Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all of you people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So knowing that Jesus rebuked them for not knowing the day of his coming, we can also figure out that the Bible predicted the exact day of Israel becoming a nation, knowing that we are the final generation and we are in the end times. I feel like Jesus expects us to know that. Now, Jesus says nobody knows the exact day or the exact hour that the rapture will happen, that Jesus' second coming will happen. But what we do know from what Jesus said is that we have seen the fig tree bloom. We are the last generation. And that's coming from a prophecy that has perfectly to the exact day fulfilled two other prophecies, one about Jesus and the other about Israel becoming a modern-day nation some 2,500 years after it was prophesied in the book of Daniel. We talked about the seven weeks and then the 62 weeks. What about the 70th week? The 70th week is called the Great 
tribulation. And that's when he says the ruler will rise. That is the Antichrist. Now, we know that there is a gap between the 69th and 70th week called the church age, which we are in currently. And we're actually in the last period of church history. And I'll get into a lot more details on that another time. But this is a lot of information being thrown at you guys. I hope it's making sense. But this is really, really important stuff, guys. It's, it's written in plain sight. And Jesus expects us to know these things, to know that we're in the end times, to know that summer is near. As he said, he's right at the door. Something else that we need to consider about this is when does the rapture take place during all of this? What are the signs exactly of the end times and who is the Antichrist? These are things that we're going to be looking at next week and we're going to get into a lot more detail on, but it it is so fascinating. Everything is written out so plainly in the Bible for us to know. We just need to dive into it. We need to really start to kind of unpeel these layers of the Bible to get into figuring out these specifics, figuring out what else is written plainly exactly in the Bible that we can know is going to happen, is going to come at some point. So I don't want to throw too much information at you guys. I know this is a lot. I've kind of taken the length of normally quite a few sermons and really kind of condense them down into just the main highlighted parts. Some of this you can spend hours and hours and hours on a single verse in this prophecy. Um, So I didn't want this podcast to be a 20-hour podcast. So I wanted to kind of highlight the main parts that are really important to know. If you want to know the details that are kind of in between those specific parts, what I would do is open your Bibles. Guys, go and read these verses for yourselves. Write down the math, whatever you need to do. Because once you really are able to wrap your head around this, it is absolutely life-changing. Because we know for a fact, for a fact, according to Jesus, that we are in the end times and we are the last generation. I, like I said, I highly encourage you guys to go back and read the Bible, look up these verses, check me, check me on this, and check it out for yourselves, guys. The most important thing out of all of this is that we know that Jesus was the Messiah, was and is the Messiah. And we know that the reason that Jesus died on the cross was to bear our sins so that we are forgiven. And all we need to do is have faith in the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected and that he died for our sins. Knowing what we just covered everything today, It's very, very hard to try to dispute or or prove that wrong. It is completely fact, and it's so specific. Thousands of years after this stuff was written, these prophecies are being fulfilled to the exact day. When I hear people say that the Bible is not relevant to today's time, it's outdated, it has outdated ideas, I think about this prophecy, and 
those statements could not be more wrong. So knowing that Jesus died for our sins and that it was predicted to the exact day, we can take comfort in knowing that our sins are forgiven. And give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. It is the best decision that you could ever possibly make. It's completely free. And the amount that you get out of that in so many ways is just so beyond comprehension. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit works within you and God will open your eyes to things. He will give you understanding. Pray for wisdom. Pray for understanding. So something that I want to do is to give a chance to anyone that is considering giving their life to Jesus. I am not a magical person. I am not a pastor, not a biblical scholar. I am not claiming to be any of those things. But if you pray this prayer with me, you can give your life to Jesus. It does not have to be this exact wording. There's nothing magical about this statement. But if you truly believe in your heart that Jesus died and was resurrected, he died for our sins, you will go to heaven, guys, and we'll get to spend eternity with Jesus. So if you are considering giving your life to Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. God, I believe that I'm a sinner and I believe my sin has separated me from you. But God, I believe that you love me. And because you love me, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for my sin. I know that my sin is paid for, and I want to give my life to you, Jesus. If you prayed this prayer with me, congratulations. You are going to heaven. You're going to get to spend eternity with Jesus. Just feel the love of God, the forgiveness, the graciousness. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. No matter how bad, no matter what it was, Jesus loves you and he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to give your life to him and your sins are forgiven. No matter how bad you think that you may have done wrong, it doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't care. He wants to forgive us. He has his outstretched arm and he's just waiting for us to reach up so that he can grab us and pull us out of the water. So I hope that all made sense, and I'm super excited to talk about the rapture and some of the other things that kind of go along with the end of this prophecy that um, I didn't want to get too into today just because there's already so much information being thrown at you guys, but you can go back and listen to this again. Um, Pretty much all of this information is information that I've got from Pastor Alan Nolan of Cornerstone Fellowship. I encourage you to go actually check out Pastor Allen's series on the end times, the Olivet Discourse, Revelation. He really goes into specific detail. I'm not claiming to have figured this out myself or anything like that. I am just taking this information and trying to put it into a form that's easy to understand, that's not so in-depth that it gets confusing, but just being able to give you guys an overall picture. So I hope that made sense, guys. I'm super excited for next week to talk about the rapture and the rest of, uh, well, not the rest of, but some more of the end times, prophecies, and 
uh, meetings and things like that. So I just want to also thank you guys for tuning in, for listening to this podcast. The more that we share this, share this podcast, the more people we can help bring to Christ, which is what Jesus wants, go and make disciples of all nations, right? So we just want to spread this as much as we can. Our main goal is to spread the gospel and just help people understand things that they may not normally understand or may never have heard of or just clearing up some common misconceptions. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we share the gospel 